Welcome to episode 24 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, here along with my partners, Richard S. Greenfield and Walter Pisick. Sorry, Walt, I didn't know your middle initial. How are you guys today? Rich, I see you're wearing a button down. That's something I haven't seen in a long time. I actually had a meeting this morning. I haven't had a CEO meeting in a long time uh, in person. So I actually got, I actually put on pants. I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> well, okay, hopefully then. you're wearing sweatpants or shorts and not scaring off people and leaving us open to lawsuits. All right. <laughs> All right, yeah. then. Walt, what's with your background? I don't. Well, Brandon, today I decided to wear, um, or excuse me, to to places in my background, one of the many um, people that have entered private establishments refusing to wear a mask, and then when asked to leave, yelling at the store owner about how they should have the right to enter a private establishment and not wearing a mask. Ah, the internet meme. Yes, it's a meme of sorts, of which we had a light shed live about earlier this yesterday. week. Yesterday. Yeah. It was yesterday. We actually had two light shed lives this week. We had, oh, and we also had an, a light shed live with that epidemiologist a while back, which I think we should maybe <laughs> post talking about how. If that you was Doctor Doctor Ding, I believe. Doctor Ding, yep, talking about how if you're indoors and you don't wear a mask, that a lot of the um, contagion um, is from um, the mobility of the droplets that are flying around <clears throat> in the air in a, in a closed location. I think maybe you're getting at the president science. having COVID. Meaning the president maybe should wear a mask? Maybe. No, I'm just... I didn't say out. it, did you? Yeah, I, I definitely said it, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, let's I just move think, on. Masks are important. Let's, uh, let's not get into politics here. We are a friend of everybody here on the Light Shed podcast. So, it, But staying on the COVID topic, I guess it's impossible not to look at the fact that the NFL's already, you know, we're only a couple of weeks into the season and the NFL's got its first case, its first delayed game, multiple people on the Titans. And, you know, Brandon, I guess the only thing I can think about is a single game gets delayed in Major League Baseball, even doesn't happen. Nobody really cares because it's one game with yep. only 17 weeks in the season. Like every game matters in the NFL. And like, is, is your fantasy team blown or like what happens to fantasy? Like, how does fantasy work? My, luckily, my fantasy team is not blown because I have no Titans and no Steelers because I dropped that Steelers kicker last week. He just wasn't what, doing what would it happen? for me. But, but what no, would but, happen but, if that but, is your team? Like if, no, if you're heavily I, weighted, oh, I what can tell happen? you what's what's been going on in my league. Which yeah, is, I want to know. Anyone who is affected by it has been able to add an extra bench player um, for for this week, and they're just what we call SOL, shit out of luck. Yeah, the players get uh, injured. I don't know why it's a big deal. Players yeah, it's, get injured. It's it's kind of the same thing, especially in the NFL, where injuries pretty much make or break fantasy seasons, and actually make or break entire football teams. Um, so. it's not that big a deal. I think what's a bigger deal is the whole scheduling implications of this. And earlier on on, um, the Light Shed podcast, maybe six weeks ago when we were talking about the NFL schedule, I said what they should probably do is every four weeks have a bye week because it was inevitable. A bye week for the whole league. You mean a a league-wide bye. And it just becomes a a makeup week instead of having the typical – you know, television driven, extend the season uh, to extra weeks by week. It kind of seemed like a no brainer. Not sure why Goodell didn't really uh, plan for this. It's uh, frankly, it was an issue in baseball because you have travel and you don't have a, a bubble. The NBA and the NHL didn't have the issue because they had the bubbles. But an issue that they did have, if you look at the slide, is ratings have been absolutely disastrous um, for both both the NBA and the NHL. Yeah, but what's crazy is is that people are saying, oh, well, it's the time shift. They're not in May or June. They're in the fall. And I'm like, and there's lots going on at once. But, like, come on. There's nothing on television to watch. People have been starved for sports. This isn't like a regular season no, game. We're talking about we're talking about the finals of the NBA down almost fifty percent. Yeah, but there's also MLB playoffs at the same time. 
get that it. Really right? exciting, <laughs> that really exciting sport, the MLB. I mean, Major League Baseball's ratings actually have held up. I think they were actually, for the RSNs, um, were up year over year. Maybe that's an indication that people want a shorter baseball season, despite their traditionalists like me wanting it to be, you know, always stick to 162 games, so on and so forth. You have to wonder why this is happening, though. You is two, it, you two have been talking about how the Stanley Cup Finals was amazing. Like you guys watched more hockey yeah, than you ever watched. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for that, right? I think from from my perspective, the last time my team went this far um, was in 1993, uh, which is very many years ago, 17 years ago. So that's why. But I will say, having watched all the sports, the one that did seem least affected by no no uh, fans was the NHL, probably because of how the game is regularly shot and how little of uh, a role the audience plays in it. But NHL down, NBA down, you, you named several well, other sports you're, there. You're, you're comparing it to the other, the only sport that was on at the time, which was MLB, which is a boring sport and was impacted by the lack of crowds. I would argue that football, um, which started in soccer, which obviously also for me restarted, but I, I won't apply that to uh, the audience. But football, I think, is also not affected. The, the, the cameras also zoomed on the game like yeah. hockey. So my interest in yeah. hockey dropped off dramatically yeah. as soon as football, let me finish, and the EPL um, restarted. And football ratings have actually been, I mean, look, there was a couple of games, obviously, early on that were really poor. But overall, like, they're down, but they're not down catastrophically the way we're looking at NBA ratings being down. I just think the NFL is still this unique property and probably speaks to whenever media rights end up getting sold. I, yep. It's probably going to be late this year, early next year now versus anytime really soon. But the, the media rights are just going to continue to go through the roof because it's still the only thing that, quote unquote, holds up. The games yeah. have been phenomenal, too. So. I, I mean, well, uh, let's just be clear. Not the Giants game. Not the Giants game. It's very hard for Rich and I. Actually, probably for you also as an yeah, Eagles know, fan. But I don't just watch um, Eagles. Like I to watch feel football, as excited. It's a great sport. Yeah. I, I will say with the NFL, I, I do feel like the crowd does play a part in it. Touchdown celebrations, the crowd noise um, with penalties. Like it is a little more uh, a part of the game. But you're right. Um, Apparently, viewers don't really feel that way because remember, in uh, election years, you've always seen ratings down a little bit. And ratings overall have only been down a little bit. Let's talk about SPACs, Walt. Yeah, I mean, SPACs has been it's been quite a, quite a run. And um, the big surprise yesterday was Charles Ergen. Um, has filed for a billion dollar SPAC. I forget what the ticker is called. And they, in, in the details, it says he can combine to do an acquisition um, with Dish or, or Echo Star. Not sure what a billion dollars gets him in terms of the 5G build outs. I think it has nothing to do with that. There's small MVNOs out there that they could potentially mop up. It just seems odd with everything going on for them to file uh, for a SPAC. But I think we have another slide showing the amount of money flow into SPACs um, for our podcast listeners, it's a chart going from 2013 to 2020. It was basically one to $4 billion a year that SPACs um, were raising in terms of capital. And then last year was $13 billion, And this year so far, it's $44 billion raised um, through SPACs in, in the United States, which for those that don't know, these are basically blank check, blank check companies um, where you know a, a management team or executives or deal makers can go out and um, and make an acquisition. Those acquisitions do have to get it's, approved. It's like a hunting license. It's like a hunting license to go out look for deals. Blind check, but they have to get approved, right? So it's not yeah. like you know. Yeah, you can can't you can't just like go out go out and buy like a McDonald's franchise with your like right. and like take the fee and call it a day. It, it does. It, have, Walt, do you think it's possible that there's like related technologies that Charlie's thinking about that somehow or businesses that benefit from his wireless move that he's thinking about kind of, you know, that could benefit or I don't know, like somehow be interrelated? There are so many moving pieces. I mean, he's got obviously Dish and Sats and two separate companies that had been separated many, many years ago um, that were it was done allegedly for strategic reasons. And then there was a rejiggering of that of those assets. Um, obviously, there's been discussion of of um, merging Dish with Directv, 
any of these things, I think, can play a role. You just don't know. Um, but again, you know, in terms of the 5G bill where people are thinking like, oh, this is another way to raise money for that. Like it's a billion dollars. So I don't, you know, it's not going to move the needle um, necessarily in terms of that. But we'll see. We'll see what they got. I don't know. I, I thought starting a podcast was sort of like the new, you know, I'm creating a band like back when I was in high school. But now it feels yeah. like SPAC is the new thing like, and, that and, everyone wants to and do. And SPACs are a, a much more lucrative path than having a podcast unless you're like you know got the barstool podcasts or you're wondering um but this is my question rich should there be a light shed spec anyone who's listening who wants to give us a billion dollars we are here with with open i would do five you know what i would do 500 million if someone wants to eat it wants to raise $500 million for us. We are here. We're waiting. And we would very happily turn a portion of our attention. We may have to just go to every other week on the podcast, but whatever. Uh, it worked out well for DraftKings. I will say that. That was a pretty well, amazing It did spec, work so. out well for DraftKings. That's, uh, that stock's obviously been a monster. Well, like many things that become very popular, I mean, it's working out well. <laughs> Ooh, great segue. For a lot of SPACs uh, that are doing well right now, and then we'll see what happens over time in those $44 billion of SPACs that have been raised. What do we have next, Rich? What oh, is this, Walt? This is a tweet. This is a, this is a tweet basically talking about uh, um, politicians or senators in this case um, have, have, are responding to the concerns of the industry because there are those within the administration um, and the uh, Department of Defense that people are concerned are are tr- wanting to build a state-owned 5G wholesale network. So, so you know, there's always this concern about China uh, and what have you in terms of using Huawei. And um, but now there's like there's an RFP out from the DoD to get commentary about you know how can the government share in in the spectrum and maybe like another version of this first net network that that AT&T was doing to wholesale and then they build a network they use it for their own i suppose and then provide wholesale traffic to existing players in the market but isn't this sort of like what Charlie Ergen wants to do at dish i mean it's almost when you look look at the descriptions of of it it's almost exactly what ergen has talked about and i wouldn't be surprised if dish themselves is going to make a filing in terms of this rfp and say hey we're here. You like, obviously right. we're over here. Well, you can't build this on your own with uh, like 50 or 100 megahertz of mid-band spectrum. We've got low band. We've got mid-band. We have all these different things. Another proponent of this has been Eric Schmidt, who made comments about this at a recent Encompass conference. So you have the, the kind of the murmurings of big tech looking for a, a potentially another alternative to what Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile can offer. You've got potential government participation. And then you have Dish over here that just, by the way, has talked about the same exact business model, open RAN, wholesale, network slicing, all these buzzwords that you're hearing about in terms of what could be a national network. What's Google's angle? Like, why is Eric Schmidt talking about this? Like, how would this help Google? You want to not have to rely on Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile for the connectivity that's extending from their cloud products or whatever else is happening on, on the other side of the house. Amazon um, would have the same interests, um, potentially Apple. Like This is the big tech issue in terms of cloud moving towards the edge and then how they're going to control um, or how they're going to enable a lot of the, the devices or cars or things like that that, that, that they're also developing. So, Brandon, I want to set this slide up. The sure. other night... The other night, I saw that Discord was skyrocketing in the App Store out of nowhere, and we, you know, I've been we've been both following Discord got up, for a got while. Got up to number four. Yeah, so like we're following Discord, and I just tweeted out like, "Why is Discord number four? And I get my literally my my Twitter blows up saying "Among Us," and I'm like, "Brandon, what's Among Us? I don't even know what Among Us is. What is Among Us, and why is everyone playing this game all of a sudden?" Okay, so Among Us has actually been around since sometime in the middle of 2018. I think, I think it may have launched in June of 2018. And it, it kind of did okay. It's a game that is cross-platform, so it's available. Big, big, big publisher? On, uh, no, Intersloth is not a big publisher. Um, but it, it's on mobile and PC, cross-platform, and you work in groups and you need voice communications in groups. So 
typically that has been done using Discord server, uh, servers, which is a voice, mostly a voice communications tool started you know, simply for video games. Obviously, during COVID, you, everyone's heard a lot about it. It's taken on new use cases, such as, I think, virtual uh, classrooms. Not sure if either of your kids have used that. I think that they've used Google Classrooms um, mostly. But, but some virtual classrooms have, have used uh, Discord. But the, the reason it really took off and Among Us took off was because it got very popular on Twitch. Some, some streamers um, found audience with it, and it kind of went viral. But the and, thing that's interesting to me is like with, if you've got three million people concurrently playing yeah. the other night and at the same time. Which is, we're by the way, to- you're talking about pretty big numbers here. Even if you look at what the downloads have been, I, I think you had, what, 70 million downloads in two months of this game basically driven off people watching Twitch. Fortnite, in its first two months, only did, I, I think, something like 22 million downloads. So shows, it shows you a couple of things. One, the, how the evolution of, of mobile gaming, which kind of went from sort of asynchronous, casual gaming to taking on bigger use cases more complex games, more social games, synchronous games that are the same games that are played on PC. Um, and I think that you could talk about Twitch, the importance of Twitch as, as a place for discovery for games and for other things. Well, so two things. One, just I just checked right now, live look yep. among us is still number one in iOS in terms of free games. For games, so, for, for, for yeah. free games. Yeah, no, so it's, it's still it's exploding. Strong. Right. Yep. The, the second thing is, it's interesting that we talked a couple slides ago about how NBA ratings are down sharply yep. and you've got millions of people playing this game, you know, in the evenings. And it, I mean, obviously all day, but it's just sort uh, of fascinating. Is that the same me. demographic, though? Is someone playing among us versus watching the NFL? <laughs> I mean, NBA look, games? There, I think there, NBA games, there's, sure. There's, over, there's overlapping. I think that if you look at, COVID beneficiaries, it's quite simply a lot of people that weren't playing video games, both on mobile PC or actually mobile PC and console that weren't playing video games before um, have either engaged or re-engaged with games in COVID. And if you look at industry numbers, they've stayed up pretty well, even as lockdowns have eased. So you have that. Um, and then well, I think those, that where are those ratings sorry to interrupt Brandon, but where are those ratings coming from? I mean, the, it's a Nielsen box. I don't think it's, it's, it's not just, by the way, it's not just video games. Right. Right. I think that's an overreach to be like everyone who was watching the NBA is now watching video games. Hey, listen, one of the things that they're watching is cable news. I mean, last night I'll, I'll be honest with you at two in the morning, yeah, I never sleep. I'm an insomniac. <laughs> I I was watching CNN where you Don, really, Lem- you Don Lemon you- was like refixing his makeup on tightening his tie on the air. And what were I, they saying on Clubhouse at 2 a.m., Brandon? I, I actually had Clubhouse on also. How did you know? <laughs> well, this is the difference between like CNN. Well, they're, actually, let's break it down. Fox News versus CNN versus Clubhouse. So Fox News was on there being like, you know, this this shows that masks are ineffective. People shouldn't have been wearing masks. I have no idea how they got that take. On CNN, they're like, we wish the president well. And then, like, you know, in the background, they're like, not really. But, you know, they had to say it. On Clubhouse, everyone's like, I hope he dies. <laughs> for, for, I would assume on Clubhouse, ins- they would just be talking was- about being on Clubhouse, <laughs> which, is the, no, which is the normal no. conversation you, on Clubhouse. You had like, re- I mean, that's obviously a very <laughs> liberal demographic, like mostly Silicon Valley and, and other um, big uh, city demos. Everyone yeah. was just like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, which, you know, we do not here at Lightshed believe it's that. We're, we're more aligned with, with CNN on this. Okay, let's 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 talk a little bit more about the category of music and gaming, Brandon, because we've got Twitch yep. 
doing a deal for music to basically to have rights cleared music, which, you know, music's always a big deal for any new platform. And when you listen to the music labels, they're always talking about Peloton and Snapchat and Facebook and new ways of making music. But what I thought was interesting about this deal between Twitch and music is that this is with independence, you know, yep. like Steve Stout's a big driver of what happened here, who we had on Light Shed Live earlier in the week. This is not the big labels. Does, does it surprise you that this isn't the big labels involved? Uh, yes, I think that at some point Twitch is going to probably um, wind up having to do deals with the big labels. Right now, uh, the way the Twitch platform has evolved, similar to how we, we were we were talking about com communications platforms e evolving in video games, is that they found other use cases. Just chatting, I believe, is the number one category on Twitch right now, which is essentially streamers just chatting not playing video games one of the things that they do when they just chat is they put on music so it, twitch has a a tool that they use which actually when music that's that's not la um, licensed comes on they actually it actually mutes it it's it's it doesn't make much sense for that to continue. Twitch should do deals with the major labels. And also, it's a great place for discovery of music, which is something that Steve Stout, when he was on Light Shed Live earlier in the week, pointed out. And I think for the indies, this is a great chance for, while they have um, licensed music um, that are in the toolkit for, for streamers, and the big labels do not, to, to create discovery. I have a you bit of a the, sequitur um, on this one, Rich. Just going back to the last slide as well. You know, I remember Fortnite sometime not long ago, they had a concert within the game, right? In terms of yeah, They've had a lot of them, yeah. So does whatever that Among Us thing, they had, if you have 3 million concurrent viewers, does, is ev does every game have that opportunity to maybe bring music or something? This is, like by the way, this is a great one because I think a little bit later on, we're going to get into Roblox. And, well, we can go there now. Like, let's just talk and, about it now. And, I mean, it, well, we'll go to it right now. Hold on. We'll just go we'll jump to Roblox. That's fine. Roblox is going public, or at least it looks like they're setting the stage for going public. So talk about it, Brandon. Um, so Roblox is essentially um, it, it's a it's a platform of video game experiences. When people don't know Roblox, the what I kind of liken it to is is the YouTube of of video games, where most of the content on there, most of the games and different experiences are user generated. The way it works is they have, um, you come on as, as a gamer and you get to play all the different experiences that are on there, different games. And then what they do is they try and give tools to the players to create their own games with financial incentives so you'll have eight to twelves who are playing on roblox and then you have teenagers who are who then um, utilize their tools to create games and so through, especially through covid you've seen this exponential growth of the platform because of it because you had a lot of creators i'll call them sitting at home with with extra time in their hands so what were what were a lot of them doing making new games and experiences on roblox and then you had the audience there to play it and you've seen exponential growth of this platform for a long time but it really took off during covid i think they're up to what 150 million mau now um three billion hours spent for a month per month, which I think pre-COVID in February, that was something like 1.5. And I know, Rich, you've complained about this a whole lot. Everyone talks about V-Bucks, but... Robux um, is crazy. It's killing me. It's killing your, me. your kids are spending all your money on Robux, and... But I, I want to wrap this back into Walt's question, which is, okay. how, you know, kind of 
the, the point is that these are platforms where people are spending yes. a tremendous amount of time. And when you spend a lot of time, whether it's the music industry, live entertainment industry, you know, all of these in everyone, even the brands and advertisers, everyone's trying to figure out like you don't. How do you how do you person. reach how do you reach these these audiences and yeah. where what are the spaces that they're hanging out in? And it's not necessarily like it was in-person spaces, they are virtual spaces. What you just described sounds very fragmented as opposed to 3 million concurrent users in Among Us or whatever the number is, is uh, in Fortnite. If it's Roblox, isn't there like 20 people but, in one then, and 50 people in another? Like, how does that work? Yeah, but, you're, but you're, on a, you're on a platform. Even if you're, even if you're playing on Among Us, your, your Discord server has, what, 10 people on it. Your team has 10. So you're still operating in a small, discrete experience. As the idea is one day, this is like sort of the metaverse, is to have everybody in a virtual space with their own identity who can participate simultaneously in, in a group experience in virtual space. Even like you brought up the Travis Scott um, Fortnite situation uh, a few minutes ago. Even then, I think it's only a hundred people at a time because of of the limitations of technology that are able to even take in that experience together. Right. So the so the third so the three million concurrent isn't really that they're not all in the same. They're league. not. No. Right. Understand. They're, they're they, not. They, they can't talk they're to not. each. They're seeing. But, they're seeing the but, same thing. But it's kind of a weird stat, It's kind of right. a weird stat to give them three. I mean, I get well, it. Well, no, no, no. There's three million people playing the game at yep. one time. That's interesting. With Roblox, sure. there's you know, however million um, kids, I'll, I'll call them, um, who are on the platform concurrently. That's all. Uh, it's it's well, just let's, let's just, j- just to put it in context, less than three million people watched the NHL final game six. Oh, nice. Oh, dude. It's dropping data. It is. What was it? Like two mi- I think it I was. It. I'm not even joking. Uh, no, well, I I'm think just. It, was I'm it just, sub two? Was it no, 1.86 like or 2.86 or something I think it was like 2. that? 2.86. But whatever. Mind the blowing. point is. I watched. Uh, by the way, I did watch game six. Um, now, the now, look. Or, I know we have people in the ad industry that are watching this. They will immediately say to me, three million concurrence, three million concurrence is not the same thing as 2.8 million watching as an average minute audience over a two hour game. That's true. Totally fair. But three million people playing a game. It's still still impressive. I mean, dude, there's 150 million people playing Roblox for three billion (laughs) hours in a month. Right. And by the way, that is they're still like fairly in the middle of nascent in their international expansion. um, Number one. And number two is the audience is going to age up. I know like they've just kind of turned the the older players into creators. But if that ages up, you have a real force in a potential metaverse. You're kind of. It's just a UGC approach as to, opposed to the more controlled approach that Epic is using in Fortnite, even if they give you tools to create your own experiences. Okay, so let's talk device announcements. Roku came out first. Roku's out. You know, this follows last week on the podcast. We talked about Amazon announcing their new Fire TV devices. I guess this is the week for streaming device launch and everyone getting <laughs> yeah. ready for the holidays. So we had Amazon last week. We wake up, you know, we get into work Monday. Roku's out with their news that they've got, you know, a, a new higher end Roku, the Roku Ultra, hundred dollar price point, much, you know, souped up stats. They've got a new, a little bit new UI, faster processor, and maybe the most interesting part of it, it's now AirPlay and HomeKit compatible. And you know, the reason I think this is so interesting, if we scroll to the next slide, is the the one app that is not going to work on Google's Chromecast, and I've confirmed this with Google, is that. There is no Apple TV Plus. Obviously, there is no AirPlay ability to the Chromecast. So the only thing that won't work on a Google device is Apple TV Plus. I don't know whether that really matters. I guess we'll obviously see. But basically, every other app is going to be on Google. And, you know, sort of what, you know, I think in many ways what Roku and, and Fire were seen as sort of the melting pot or the independent where everything was available, sort of now Google's trying to take that leadership position with Chromecast. They've got this new Chromecast. $50 price point seems pretty compelling. They're obviously very late. I mean, everyone else has had a remote 
with buttons and a you know a physical remote for a long time. I don't know what took Google so long to get to this point, and you know a new Google TV interface it, versus Android TV. Like it, it, it took just way too wrong, long. Rich. Sometimes, sometimes smart people misfire on consumer behavior. I mean, look at what happened with with Facebook. Weren't they embracing HTML5? <laughs> and it yeah. turned out that the app ecosystem was important, and it took Mark a little time. Well, I mean, look, I think I, Roku stock was up this week, and I think part of it was the fact, even on all of this news, I think part of it is the OEM side of, of Google TV. So you, you'll still see a, a TCL Android TV doesn't even convert until sometime in 21 yeah. into the new Google TV. And so the sort of the OEM interface advantage, no one knows what an Android TV is. Google TV, I think they will start to know, but it's not even happening it, this calendar it, year. A couple of things. I think... One is uh, that depends on how well it's marketed. Yep. First of all, and yeah, Google isn't the greatest marketer <laughs> of of all time. That's not like really their core competency. That's more of an Apple thing. Um, and number two, just talking to investors about Roku this week, everyone was like, "Okay, the catalyst is over." <laughs> so you know, we're fr- we're free to buy it. And number one, and number two is meaning that the Google, risk, the, the risk factor in Google, meaning like the, the threat of no, Google well, the news everyone, is out there. Well, everyone was waiting for there to be the catalyst where people would sell the stock, and and we're past that. Everyone now knows that that right. Google has something, and so the next catalyst for negative catalyst for Roku is who knows when. Number one, right. and number two, there's a mistrust. That of Google when it comes to hardware, which is understandable because, you know, Pixel, great device. I'm, I think you probably ordered the new one. I know Walt has been, you know, interested in what's in what's going on with the Pixel. But I, I ordered a Chromecast, it, too, to try it out. No, no real market share, you know, yeah. and fast- they've disappointed in hardware. What's fascinating Let's to say- me is that when Apple comes out with a new software, they they can overnight effectively layer it yeah. onto every one of their devices and. I think we're being told by Google this great new interface. Um, I can't have my TV upgrade until 2021. Why? What's the maybe deal? even 2022? It's not even clear it'll be <laughs> complete by 2022. Why? If you're so good at technology, why? Well, why does why does my television not update when you release this new this new great interface? Well, why do Android and phones? Is, and not- this is exactly what Tim Cook has talked about every time. When he says, like, okay, you know, our if we look at our Apple devices, our new software is on X percent of the devices, and X percent of Android devices are on this one versus that one versus the other one, and the same thing is happening on the television. Well, so that's, here that's I have with my brand new Sony TV, and you're telling when me, did you buy it? When you did know you buy what? It? Like a this month is, ago. <laughs> so that, you're telling this, me you can't upgrade the software? <laughs> this gets back to the whole owning the entire stack like to having the Apple approach where you own the hardware and own the software versus having fragmented hardware OEMs, right? And what segment of the market does Apple end up getting because they can do it better? The, the, The percentage of the market that actually has money. That's right. That's right. So you can, you can offer your $80, thicker remote that won't fall through the cracks but like who's actually using the product all right let's go on to the pixel Um, oh by the way no one's using that apple product that's true (laughs) that's true which is is probably why roku just keeps going up (laughs) yeah um so pixel other the other product that was launched um you know rich likes to make a big deal about this but the reality is it never scales any material volumes it's kind of a a rounding error in terms of device sales in the market but what is why do they even do it why do they even do it before you move on like why why are they even in the product i mean i think it's kind of a a high profile product to make sure to keep the other vendors uh, honest and make sure you've got the best out there um what's interesting for verizon is um when we talk about the, the millimeter wave spectrum, which hopefully our podcast listeners now understand that this is the spectrum that Verizon particularly, but other, other of the operators have used. And, and the FCC has pushed millimeter wave spectrum um, as the kind of race to 5G. It, it's going to cost $100 more if you want a millimeter wave enabled phone um, from Verizon. And this is, this is where their differentiation point is in terms of 5G. They said they call it UW, which stands for ultra wideband. So for an extra hundred dollars, you can get the you can wait for and get the millimeter wave um, version 
of the phone in order to get these great speeds. And then the issue is, how well does that spectrum perform? <clears throat> the companies have claimed that based on new software and new chips that it's doing much better than when we had originally tested it about a year and a half ago in Chicago. As you recall, that was a horrible. Is that where you went inside and outside of the building? Correct, Rich. I went inside a, a, a plate of glass and the, the space. You went corrupts. inside and out. <laughs> it was a Starbucks, wall, wasn't it? A, a it was a Starbucks. Well, actually, at one point I turned around, so I had my <laughs> body in between me and the small hey, cell hey, hey. and the speed. Now, Verizon claims that that has dramatically improved, which it probably has. They've added densification, better software, and things like that. But again, this look, all reminds me of like the whole fixed wireless thing in like the late 90s. It's it's part and again it's ecosystem. Everyone talks about ecosystem, but here the millimeter wave phone costs a hundred dollars more. Period. Yep. That's not ecosystem. ecosystem how do you think they're going to market that it's a hundred dollars more and like what you're getting? Do you have any sense of like how they explain this to people? Um, look, but this is all going to again. This is a, the the pixels are rounding error. Let's be honest, and and yep. it's all coming down to the iPhone. So in the iPhone. What the speculation is, and, and you know, hopefully this thing gets announced within the next couple of weeks, is the millimeter wave will only be in the higher-end phone, the, the big ones that you get, the Plus or the Max, and, and that the cheaper phones, they just won't have the millimeter. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, so it'll be, you won't see that differential. It won't be as apparent because you're paying more already for the larger screen phones that so they're effectively going to be embedding the cost in it that way. And, and look, I don't want to pick on Verizon alone because AT&T and T-Mobile have also talked about and are planning to build millimeter wave spectrum um, into their phones. We'll just have to see how it evolves. But again, here we are in 2020, I don't know how many years after Lowell McAdam, the former CEO of Verizon, um, was was promising that this was going to be the you know the answer to 5G that very year. And, and now we're, you know, we're just getting a phone and it's more expensive. So probably when are we going to get fit- our hands on these phones? Well, you know, there's there's supply when, chain. Wasn't there Google something- has not done great in, in, in the supply chain. So I think Rich has ordered his Pixel and I think his delivery date was November 1st. Um, oh. We'll see when maybe maybe Apple's going to have the same issue with their higher end phones. Like maybe the cheaper phones or the more entry level phones will be available by the end of October. But maybe we won't be able to get a millimeter wave um, enabled phone or a 5G phone for a while just because of supply chain issues. Good point, Brandon. So my, this is my favorite tweet, maybe of uh, the favorite story. One of my favorite stories of the year. You have honestly. to read it to the podcasters. I, I will. Oh, I will. We haven't just, been I, reading I, the tweets to the podcast. <laughs> Sorry I, I to those who are listening, which is the overwhelming majority of our audience yeah. that doesn't get to okay. see us. So, so this is a story in Cord Cutter News. YouTube TV is dropping the Fox Regional Sports Networks this week. And what, what makes this so priceless is that the Sinclair team, which owns the Fox Regional Sports Networks and has gotten first dropped by Dish, uh, and then, then obviously YouTube TV is dropping it, is that back in March there was an impasse where they went off or they were about to go off of YouTube TV and they announced that they had reached a deal and that they had gotten the deal done and they were basically parading to investors how great it was that they had gotten a deal done with everybody but Dish. What they seem to have forgotten to tell investors publicly is that it wasn't a deal. It was a short-term extension just for basically for baseball season (laughs) and that as soon as baseball season ended, the deal was up and YouTube was dropping it. And it's just sort of one of these amazing stories of, of blatantly misleading investors about what you had actually done with YouTube. Imagine that. It's just, this is amazing. And so it just sort of shows, I mean, look, Ergen has blazed a trail showing that you can be just fine without the regional sports networks. I think YouTube understands that. YouTube has added, you know, they just added the NFL network uh, and added Renzone as an add-on. I yep. think YouTube is is focused, understands they have the data, right? They're not relying on Nielsen. They know exactly what channel creates value. And they clearly understand that the regional sports networks, they do not have to have to be successful. And so they're dropping the RSNs. You know, Sinclair's in an even tougher spot with these assets. I think the RSNs, it just feels like this is a business that's going to end up in restructuring because the math just doesn't work. But so are, so are there RSNs love this. on DirecTV currently? They are. Oh, so interesting. So what might happen to them if, if DirecTV and Dish um, end up merging, as we believe is inevitable? It is the, I think that would literally be the, the, the putting the final um, knife in, in the business, right? That's over. It's over. There's, there's I no think, business. I think that the, the real answer here 
and it's something that the content side obviously doesn't want, but is is really tiering. And I mean, you, you do have the ability on AT and T to tear out a little bit on Directv to tear out a little bit the uh, the RSNs, but I think what YouTube TV is showing you is that. They they launched Red Zone on a tier with some other crap sports assets. No one thought they would do any tiering at all. They're clearly willing to do tiering for what they consider to be a little more niche. And their ideal deal with with these the old Fox RSNs is probably to do something on a tier, but it'll probably trigger MFNs. So this industry is going to have to be restructured in that way with tiering and a, and a higher price point. I mean, and also it's going to be painful a month ago. Right. I mean, didn't they jack price 10, 10 yeah, bucks or whatever but, it was? But what, but if you look at the price of, of the sports tier right now, at, mm-hmm. I think of what is it? 1095, $11, whatever it is. Same thing. Um, that is a is a price. I think they're probably paying what five bucks for for Red Zone, and the average RSN in most markets is like what four fifty or five bucks. That seems like pretty set up to to have the RSNs tiered. Just right. saying, it, it, it's just an MFN issue that you have that's to get right. around, and there's just that's no right. Which easy is way to do which that. is no, there is no easy way. But I think that's if this industry is going to survive, that's probably what's going to have to happen. Well, talking about survival, we've got um, this is on the left. We've got a picture. It's it's a heat map. So on the spaceship Earth ride in Disney World uh, down in um, uh, I believe this is in Epcot. When you get off the ride, you can basically tell uh, where you're from. And basically, when you do that, they put up a map uh, showing everyone that day where they're from. And what you can see in this map it's a map of the United States and parts of South America and Canada. You basically can see that almost everybody who's in Disney World this week is from the Florida, from Florida, a little bit from the southeast and Midwest, West Coast, uh, essentially empty. And Sorry. normally you would see this being very overwhelmingly Florida. Over, I mean, crazy. It's it's almost white. You rather, can you can't this. even see. Yeah. Right, it's a white and blue, and there's basically lights <laughs> for Florida, and it's sort of crazy just how lit up Florida is versus the rest of the country and. So you've got Disney at the same time coming out this week saying they're going to lay off 28,000 people. Obviously, people are not going. The parks are, you know, really the word not full is it doesn't even do it justice. They do not have meaningful attendance. And yet they're still operating the, the, the Florida parks. Obviously, the parks in California are still closed. And so this is just a bad situation. And to sort of add insult to injury to this whole thing, we find out that Bob Iger, uh, chairman of Disney, has quit Governor Newsom's task force as tensions rise over Disneyland's reopening plan. So the implication is Iger's not happy that California won't let him open. And so he's quitting the task force that the governor had organized to deal with COVID. I think it just shows this this theme park business is very, very troubled, really troubled with no easy answer. I mean, look, it's clearly extremely weak is the word I would use for him to just quit that task force. There's no oh. doubt about that. But on, but on the map thing, like I'd love to see a year over year comparison because we are kind of out of travel season. Obviously no one in California would go to That's Disney fair. World when they can go to Disneyland. That's fair. Well, you know, people don't want to fly. I mean, it's obviously cool. I, I, I get your point on that. Um, but it's like, but it's, it's pretty, right. it's pretty overwhelming though. And I know like the sure. historical statistics, uh, it's what are you know not overwhelmingly florida based for um the only interesting thing that i've got in terms of you know feedback on that wall cuz i think it is sort of it, it sort of speaks to your point a little bit someone sent me a picture as well from a few weeks ago uh, maybe 4 or 5 weeks ago and there was literally no other dots like anywhere but florida so there's definitely a little bit of travel like people are definitely right. coming from other states where they weren't coming from other states you know even back in sort of you know, earlier in August. So travel's picked up, but yeah, it's travel still- has picked up, by the way, just anecdotally. Um, I'm in Vermont right now working out. Is that here. why, and- is that why your microphone is subpar for all of our yes. listeners today? Yes. Yeah, yes, it is because I didn't bring my entire, my entire rig with me, but the hotel we're in, which isn't much of a hotel is fully sold out. And oh, wow. they told me has been for the last three weeks. And I know like what the reason we're up here 
is because it's a good time of year to come leaves and so on and so forth. But hearing about hotels being sold out kind of in the middle of, in the middle of nowhere is, is a big deal. It shows people do want to travel, but I mean, they don't is, clearly want to go to theme parks. <laughs> it is Lee. It is leaf peeping season. Brandon. Uh, it's also, it's also Vermont. It's driving vacations versus flying vacations that's, too. I think is a big part of it, right? That's, like, sure. that's, the Cape was, that's I was at the true. Cape last weekend. It was packed. I mean, you couldn't get into any restaurant. I mean, the hotels looked like they were not, you know, was staying in one, but they were looked like they were packed as well. And, so. and the other thing is, I mean, for like driving places, it, everyone's still remote, so you you could set up that laptop anywhere. But look, and, the numbers don't lie. They they laid off twenty eight thousand people, and that yep. tells you that obviously they're not about theme parks. Yeah, what's going on in the in the in the theme parks? So just as Disney is struggling and delaying their films, as we talked about last week, uh, and theme parks obviously getting battered, now they're facing ever greater competition from Netflix. And so one of Disney's big animators from the past, one of the animators on Rafiki and Lion King, famed animator Glenn Keane, has his first movie for Netflix, and it's called Over the Moon. Uh, it's something that you know. I don't think a lot of investors have been paying attention to in terms of the animation ambitions, feature animation ambitions of Netflix. And it had its virtual premiere. And I, I still don't know exactly what a virtual premiere is, but um, <laughs> it had its virtual premiere earlier this week. And I'm going to read you the tweet from somebody who attended. And again, I don't know this person. I have no background, but I just saw the tweet and I thought it was interesting. Boom Over the Moon was it? Over the Moon was exceptional with vibrant animation and a storyline that focuses on family coming together. This is an absolute must see. It's heartwarming and funny with musical numbers that you'll want stuck in your head. I truly love this film. And the only reason I bring up this specific tweet is the last piece on musical numbers, because I think when I think about a lot of the companies that have tried to break into the Disney franchise of animated films, the thing they've never been successful with is getting those songs that literally last in your head. Think of Frozen, me go back literally. through time. Literally, yes. And so, you know, I, I think this, again, it's only one film. It's one shot on goal. But to the extent that the music and the film work on Netflix, and, you know, if you see kids singing these songs, that's going to be a real statement in terms of Netflix's ability to compete with Disney and feature yep. animation where they've really never had, you know, yes, illumination has had, you know, with minions and there's only been attacks on animation, but there, I don't really feel like on the po- song there's side. been pockets there's been, right. But, but that's yep. it. I mean, that is a market that Disney overwhelmingly with Pixar, they own and, it. And Disney just, just owns and, and Netflix is, is moving in fast. And because of the way Netflix distributes through SVOD, which makes their content available to many more people sooner, that's you know that that's that's an advantage over waiting for for the theaters, right, Rich? Right. Well, all these other movies are pushed out till next summer, next fall. You know, a year from now, like it, we, everyone is, is basically- just ticking them off. Here's the content. Here's the content. Everyone's you know sitting at home. We're re, we're going to relock down because of COVID spike. Guess what? We have Disney-like content for you. Exactly. I personally have been binging Shit's Creek after it got all those awards. In my Is it work. actually me good? Me, I've oh never no, watched it. Me too. It. I did well, too. Season one was kind of shitty, but season two <laughs> Look how three excited is getting you guys better. Are. Yeah, he's getting. Wait, wait. <laughs> you just, hold on. You just said it was kind of shitty. That was pretty funny. I know. Thank you. You picked up on that. That was intentional. But Brandon, I just I also noticed while Rich was talking that you drank out of what appeared to be a motel coffee cup. Is is that yeah. what you is that what goes on in Vermont? I thought Vermont uh, you'd have these earthy nutty. Okay, let me like, let me explain what let me explain what happened. What the hell is going on? Okay, okay. Well, just if you want to shame me, I was supposed to go you know just for the weekend up here. Yeah. What I decided to do so that I could so I could work today. My Airbnb is not ready till tonight. Was to drive up after work last night kind of like almost overnight and i needed a place to stay because my airbnb wasn't ready so i'm staying at a best western there it is i've admitted it that's fine to stay at a best western but you're drinking the best western coffee from the coffee maker okay well i I do Uh, want to show you i mean you're in no i really no i do want to show you domino's pizza i do have no no i do have this and now i'm going to give a plug um for pk coffee which Actually, they're opening officially tomorrow, and I happened to 
go by today and they gave me this free cappuccino. It was okay. really good. But this in is order to stay awake, I needed to have a little extra best Western coffee here, which isn't as good, but does the job. So you're, you're le- delaying. You're, you're delaying us. So let's let's move on to. <laughs> I just need to confirm that he's leafkeeping. He's leafkeeping and drinking cappuccinos. This is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> why, why is this? Why and, and is spending this, like what's going to go? It seems like two hours with you assholes on this. <laughs> what's next? World, World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. Okay, Shadowlands um, has been delayed. It was coming out a little late anyway, I think mostly because of you know some very, very slight delays that were COVID related. But the real reason it's delayed is because in beta, the players didn't really like it. There were problems that needed to be fixed. I think a couple of things um, from an industry basis, and this has been going on for a long time, the advantage that video games have over linear media is that you can iterate on them with feedback from your audiences. One thing that... Meaning you can't go reshoot Mulan after it doesn't work. No. Premier <laughs> no. Access. No. And video games get fixed not only in alpha and then beta, which is what they're for, um, but also after games have launched, they're continually e- evolving. So this is kind of a reminder of that. Activision Blizzard has been criticized um, in the past for not listening to their players for turning and, a deaf and, ear and, and they've just changed that, that culture over the last you know couple of years which changing i mean it's not blizzard it's activision but call of duty the entire progression system changed the way they monetize so on and so forth in much more player friendly um way and uh that's that. And as but far Brandon, as Activision is concerned. But, but, but hold on. Before you get to Activision, I think what's important yeah. before you get to the stock or overall, when I was reading Twitter, just reading up on on the delay, I yeah. thought what was interesting was the overwhelming wasn't like, oh, it's horrible. I can't believe I don't get to play it this year. The reaction was, thank God. Like, thank God they're delaying this game. I'm glad they're getting it right. I'm glad they're not rushing it. Like, players seemed relieved that the company yeah. wasn't forcing there, it. There was, there was some not great feedback, um, I, I think, uh, on, on, on the game. And look, Activision has been criticized in the past for taking too long um, and working in perfectionism, but they weren't perfecting games the, um, by listening to audience. They were perfecting games before they even put it into beta right. without the feedback of the audience. So you see it's like kind of a little bit of, sh- of a shift in the way they're doing business, which, which is positive. Not to fluff Activision. And as far as um, the impact on the stock and earnings are concerned, if the game is actually, or the expansion is actually good, yeah, look, maybe there's a very slight material um, shift in some revenues from this year to next. But more important than that is that it's successful <laughs> overall. It's not about managing earnings for one year, especially in a year where they're destroying numbers, you know, probably for the rest of the year anyway. So if we want to follow stocks on on Twitter, um, stocks I can't follow – I can't follow um, Activision, but I guess these are called cash tags, uh, is what I guess the the nickname for dollar sign and then a ticker. You can now follow them on Twitter like you can follow topics, which, you know, Twitter's made a big deal. You know, Jack's sort of idea, I, I remember talking to Jack and he was going, kind of having to follow people on Twitter is sort of antithetical to the concept that Twitter's all about, you know, topics and, you know, its interests is what you follow on Twitter. You don't really want to follow people. And so they've been rolling out topics. Now they're rolling out tickers inside of investing topics. So you can follow Apple, you can follow Roku or Facebook or Netflix. It, I, I just noticed it yesterday. There's not that many. I've only, up on the screen are the, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 uh, cash tags that exist so far. You think a big deal, Brandon? I think that the Robin Hood investors are excited for this. <laughs> I <laughs> 
I think that, that Portnoy, I, I honestly think that, I don't know, we just keep giving Portnoy all this credit because he's such a good marketer. But I think his like hashtag, I mean, hashtag dollar sign pen ever. We've been, you know, searching by dollar signs for, for forever um, on Twitter, but I think he may have popularized it. And if you look at the tickers that are in there that and match it up with, up with Robin Hood yes. names. A hundred percent. Put the screen back up for for our our podcast listeners. Let me just, let me give you a sampling. You've got Apple, you've got Amazon, you've got Alibaba, you've got Netflix, Microsoft, and then Penn Gaming. And, and, and (laughs) of course, I I think NKLA is that, that one that's like the, like, what's that? The the Nicola. Yeah. Let's just say it's not. There's no ATT. There's no Verizon. (laughs) (laughs) But there is. But there's Penn Gaming. No, and Kodak. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Kodak's on there? Yes. K O D K. (laughs) Oh, my God. These are. Hold on. Is this the complete list, Rich? This is crazy. Walt, I kid you not. I kid you not. DTG, Robin Hood. tickers this is this pretty is amazing. the complete this is the complete <laughs> list as of today now it's expanding every day but as of this morning when i did this this was the list oh my god so kodak's on there but at&t and verizon are not and That's correct yeah, that is amazing by the way like for those that use tweet deck i mean if you actually put a dollar sign ticker into tweet deck the type of bot garbage that you get in there, <laughs> yeah it's I terrible know, i don't know if jack's planning on filtering out the bot garbage that <laughs> typically is associated with these dollar signs T- topics do I, I so think, topics I are ai gonna, weeded okay he's yeah. gonna hire portnoy and let him stay in charge of that That's a <laughs> Spe- Kodak speaking about portnoy Kodak. we have our <laughs> what's a week without an actual portnoy slide <laughs> Okay, so let, let, let's do the first one on the left, which is serious, and then we'll end with the right. But so okay. on the left, we've got Dave Portnoy writing. Well, actually, let me go to the Jim Cramer tweet. So the, the tweet that he's quote tweeting is Jim Cramer saying, big things happening tonight with DraftKings. DK is running the big play payday promo. So if there's a 20-plus yard line TD in the fourth quarter tonight, you'll be entered into Sunday's $100,000 contest. Opt in for free with this link and make it rain. Hashtag ad. And then it's a link to DraftKings. So Jim Cramer's doing a sponsored tweet. He's now for DraftKings. For, for DraftKings. The, is this what, lining what ta- up as the suits? You, you know how like Portnoy's whole thing is like it's like him against the suits? Well, here you go. <laughs> Kramer in his so, suit so, on Rich, the left. The, the proper term here is, is not necessarily quote tweet. It's called a dunk. And Portnoy <laughs> dunks on Kramer by saying, this is the difference between us and everybody else in a nutshell. They pay for friends. I earn them. And frankly, it's you know beyond the, the, the obvious of Kramer <laughs> getting paid to promote DraftKings. It's the payment, what Brandon has talked a lot about in a lot of the podcasts that we've done and, and the interviews that we've done on Lightshed Lives, which is... Um, like the commoditization of just paying for someone to join your app and like, is that sticky versus when we did our light shed um, live with Portnoy and talking about, look, you know, he's got the stoolies and that's a probably a stickier base to go to their app than necessarily paying someone $500 to come to your app for, to spend their and lose potentially their $500 and then move on to the next thing. And if he's able to integrate some type of barstool content into the app, which seemed to be the indication based on, the light shed live that we did right yep. with um, that there's more to it than just getting paid to go to the app. So fascinating um, interchange between those two online. Okay. Now Brandon, on, you, have, you, you need to set this tweet up because no, one, I don't even know what are, tweet is, is next. Well, it's the, it's the, oh, video it's the re- oh, it's the rest. Is. No, Walt needs to, because Walt's the one who discovered this. He was busy watching this on Periscope. I, what would, and he sent it to us. It was Portnoy trying to find the power button for his laptop. Well, this, this might be, this could be this, a similar Best Western that Brandon is staying in right now. That Dave <laughs> is at a Best Western in LA um, early in the morning. Trying I to doubt he's at a Best Western. And he's got his hashtag pen hat. Similar to Brandon, he he's having difficulty operating a electronic device and putting his computer <laughs> on. 5,000 people watching him do that. 5,000 people like if, watching if, him live. by the way if people want to watch me try and use technologies um by the way that actually reminds me that that was an ollie g little reference there i'm so excited about borat 
Borat 2 coming. Okay. Uh, I think we, it's October 23rd. Can we focus? Can, can we can focus? Where, well, what's there to focus? Oh, you want to play the clip? Most people can't see it anyway. It'll get them to watch our podcast versus listen to it. Oh, okay. Portnoy is literally trying to find the power literally. button. Literally. power button. All right, DDTG. Market's open. I got to... I can't figure out how to turn on my computer. <laughs> no coffee. Brand. Oh, this fucking hair. Look at that. Hair in the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, All right. Uh, what a what a great way to end our podcast. No, but what episode. about Bora? How excited are we? And how did it wind up on Amazon? How did Amazon get that um, content? By the way, you know HBO. I, think- I mean, Showtime has um, a deal with um, with Sasha Baron Co- Cohen for like what is America or whatever the deal is. Ali G was always on HBO. I don't know. Look, I, Brandon, this just speaks to the fact that these studios don't know what to do. They're, they're literally stuck. It's like deer in headlights. They, they can't put their movies in theaters. They're being forced to sell off content. I mean, the, you know, this Enola Holmes, which is like the, the number one sh- you know, movie right now on Netflix, was a legendary film. It would have gone to theaters, and instead it's the, you know, now it's on Netflix, and everyone thinks it's a Netflix film, and it's blowing up on Netflix. And, uh, you know, I just think it's like the, the studios either are being forced to delay really delay or sell their content to third parties because they don't want to follow Netflix. They don't want to be Netflix. They don't want to follow in its footsteps. And meanwhile, Netflix is just cleaning up. And to your point earlier, like they're just taking share and and taking viewer time and habits. And it's just shocking. And I think Amazon's doing the same thing as Netflix. They see the power of, of original movies to drive viewership and engage people. And this is just the continued mistakes or missteps of legacy media. I just wanted to end on a serious note because I know you were upset about some of the banter early on, and I apologize. I'm, ne- I'm, I'm never upset. I just <laughs> I'm more upset about your microphone than, than the than the banter. Oh so. God, we have software for that now. You know how AT and T ends all of their all of their investor things with you know, and, and don't don't text and drive. I think we should end ours on if you're entering a private establishment, put your fucking mask on. It's not a public place. If you're going inside in a private establishment, put your fucking mask on. Thank you, Rich. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.